0: Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message.
1: Hey, as we get into the Christmas season, I wonder if any of you have like a favorite image or a memory from history that says christmas to you anybody have one something like that well i have one and i wanted to share it with you something that always says christmas to me when i think about it and that's the cuban missile crisis of 1962 <laughs> What you're laughing? I'm serious as I can possibly be, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Because what's Christmas without a few missiles? So, so let me let me just let me just set this up a little bit before they think, oh my God, he really has totally flipped his wig. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have a living faith, because it is important for us to imply the truth principles that we teach in all the circumstances in which we find ourselves in our lives. Even the ones that are unpleasant or really uncomfortable or that feel threatening. You know, we take our faith and our belief systems with us wherever we go. So even in, in the times that are great, it's there. In the times that yeah, not so much, it's still there. So through the application of our truth principles, we expand and elevate consciousness Assuming, of course, we're willing to work our program and are willing to learn lessons along the way, uh, which might challenge some of our assumptions or our current worldview. So it's imperative then that we practice what we preach, right? Staying open all the time to the gifts and the learning that is available to us, whatever is happening in our lives. And it's true in the personal matters of our lives when we're addressing our own personal health or illness or financial abundance or lack thereof or relationship joys or relationship challenges. And it's just as true in the collective Because we are parts of a world society, so when we're pondering and thinking about public health or the economy or social issues or international events, we have to be willing and able to apply our truth principles there too, or else they're really not universal and not really uh, helpful for us. So, a wonderful physician and author, Dr. H. Emily Cady, coined a term in the last half of the 19th century, so we're going back a long time, that talks about what can happen to us as we are experiencing the elevation of consciousness. And this was an old unity term called chemicalization. And she says, There has been a clash between the old condition, which was based on falsehood, fear, and wrong ways of thinking, and the new thought entering into you. The old mortal is kicking vigorously against the truth. You have a feeling of discouragement and despair and feel, a feeling such as one would have at caught doing something disreputable. She was a Victorian. Do not be frightened, she says. That which you feel is on the spiritual plane, a similar excitement and agitation to that which is seen in the chemical action between the alkali and the acid on the material plane. And something higher and better always results. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience or that feeling like there's something going on inside of me and it feels really awkward. What's happening? Well, we're transforming consciousness. Consciousness. We're releasing the old, we're introducing the new, but the old clearly does not want to uh, move. It's very comfortable, rooted as it is often between our ears. So unity and new thought has done a great job of emphasizing personal growth and transformation process. That's our wheelhouse. It's what we do best. And we're not afraid to lean into such things as shadow work, you know, coming to the terms with those maybe not so pleasant parts of ourselves or uh, addressing addiction and recovery and, and abuse issues. We'll just lay it out there. No problem with that, because we know that as we bring light, illumination to these, these area, all areas of our lives, then we can more fully experience and release what we call, and what Paul called, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we replace shame and guilt with acknowledgement and release. You get that? We replace shame and guilt with acknowledgement and release. I'd like to say it's an all-you-gotta-do job, but transforming consciousness, individually and collectively, can seem like a series of chemicalization experiences. Anybody ever have that experience? Okay. Those experiences, good, not just me. So our emphasis in unity at Christmas time is to celebrate the birth of Jesus in the world, master, teacher and way shower, elder brother, all these wonderful names we ascribe to him. And also, as Reverend Ron indicated, honoring that symbolic birth and rebirth of Christ's consciousness in each one of us, the realization of who we truly are when you strip away the falsehoods and the illusions. So one way that we give birth or deliver the Christ of ourselves is to do that work of the pushing and the groaning of self-discovery and self-realization and self-acknowledgement. And it's not too different from being in the delivery room. Not an easy process, but (laughs) but always worth the process. Remember, don't be frightened, as Dr. Katie said. Something better always results. So we see a lot of this same process in our collective experience as as humanity moves in an apparent herky-jerky fashion into a world awakened to peace, abundance, and respect for all creation. You know, that's our vision statement here at Unity of Fairfax. That's why we do what we want to do. And on the collective plane, it's just as awkward and herky-jerky as it is sometimes in our own personal lives. So let's... Does that. It's not a surprise. The microcosm represents the macrocosm. So what our vision entails in the process uh, to make it manifest is that what is required, I need to pay more attention to my notes than these flashing lights going on and behind you. So what is entailed for all of us is the willingness to do the work, right? And on the collective basis, it's the willingness to share power with honor and integrity. And if we've ever gotten into problems on a global sphere or on a large macro level, it's because of uh, an unwillingness to share power with honor and integrity. History shows far too many cases where those who hold power really want to just hang on to it and keep it. Is that ever have you noticed that? <laughs> this is mine, and I get to control everything. And if I can take your stuff and control that too, so much the better. That's just kind of it's built in the human psyche, which is a starting point, which is the work that we all have to do. We do that individually as well. So formerly enslaved individual and American hero, Frederick Douglass, I think put it best when he said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Find out just what any people will quietly submit to and you have found out the exact measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them and these will continue until they are resisted with either words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants I prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. That also happens in our own psyche when a predominant thought takes over. And often that predominant thought is fear-based. So Douglas's words come to mind for me anyway. Anyway. If I consider such things as the abolitionist movement, the civil war, the civil rights movement, women's rights movement, indigenous rights movement, gay rights movements, disability rights movements, the dismantling of the Iron Curtain in Europe and apartheid in South Africa, you name it. All of these collective endeavors were and have been and in some respects still are vehemently resisted by someone or some group who has some percent pretense of power. I don't want to share. I want everything to be under my domain. But the big question, the big question in my mind, as we acknowledge the divine idea of peace, is what would happen if those individuals who had power were actually willing to share? To live together amicably, to cooperate rather than compete, to tend and befriend rather than to fight or flight, to be a house united rather than a house divided. And this can be true in your family, in your church, in your workplace as well as in international relations, which of course brings me to one of my favorite Christmas memories, the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. So those of some of you were here for that, yeah, you. You'll remember. Um, That was a couple years before me. So anyway, what we do know is Cold War was well entrenched by this time. And so here's a very brief recap that leaves out a lot of important information. So this will not be on your history test at the end of the service. So in October of that year, October 1962, the U.S. discovered the Soviet Union was apparently building nuclear missile bases in Cuba. And so as a response, the U.S. put a blockade around Cuba to prevent any more supplies from coming in. Well, about two weeks later, ships from the Soviet Union started removing the missiles and taking them back to wherever they came from. And for those of you who were there, you probably remember that was a pretty frightening and horrible time. So, I'm curious, what does this have to do with Christmas? Maybe, do you hear something?
0: Said the night wind to the little lamb Do you see?
1: as big as the sea so the song do you hear what i hear tells a story loosely based on the nativity of jesus as told in the gospel of matthew and this is the one where herod is going to kill the christ child and the family become political refugees and flee toward the border and in that song, there are incorporated elements of the Annunciation to the Shepherds, as told in the Gospel of Luke, though Jesus himself is never mentioned by name in the song or explicitly identified. So we have in the song a night wind tells the lamb about a star, and the lamb tells the shepherd boy, and they each in turn go to a mighty king who, uh, whom they tell of a child in the cold. And that the child has needs, symbolized by, let's bring him silver and gold, much like the Magi did. And the king proclaims a prayer of peace and announces that the child will bring goodness and light. The king indicates that we should care for our children. Not deny them necessities or put them in cages. The, lids, the lyrics, though, are inconsistent with the response given by Herod the Great in the story because he was very frightened. And it was a nasty scene in the next phase of Matthew because when the Holy Family leaves, there's a story told of what is referred to as the slaughter of the innocents. That's not one that we t- to use in Christmas pageants. So Herod was addicted to power, and yet Herod symbolizes the the controlling consciousness of not just a leader, but I think of each and every one of us. We all have an executive faculty of will, and that can be used in paranoid and violent ways, or this same power as described in the song can be used in peaceful and helpful ways. So it's really important for us to know that we, each one of us, as well as our world leaders, has that decision to make. How will I use my executive function? Amy, let's hear about that a little bit more.
0: Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king. Bring him silver and gold. Let us bring.
1: Just as we have this, this consciousness of leadership, we all have this divine child consciousness within us. That is the other message we talk so much about at Christmas time the rebirth, birth and rebirth of Christ consciousness in us. It is pure, it is beautiful, it is loving, it is open. And we have this time of year to remind us to connect and commune with that power and to remember it is there. And to remember that that is the truth of who we are. It's where we grow from. So we want to use this season to connect as well with that inherent purity for us. And what I love about this song is this this night wind that speaks first to the Lamb. The Lamb is a symbol of peace. And it's this night wind also that symbolizes in my mind as well, the intimations and the hints and the intuitions we sometimes get that say, hey, you know, you ought to pursue that. You might want to check that out. And these intuitions often come to us very gently and very softly. And yet when we listen to them, we take the actions that make important contributions to the world at large and to our own personal intimate world as well. It's such a beautiful song that highlights how everything in the world is connected. I love that nature imagery, the wind and the animals and and to the boy and to the king. And there's just this wonderful unity and wholeness in this song. And then there's a little bit more about that. So... So you're probably wondering, he still hasn't said how this at all relates to the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And I know you're sitting there on the edge of your seat. I can see many of you are like, when's it going to get to it? When's it going to get to it? I'm getting to it right now. (laughs) So this song was written in, you guessed it, October of 1962. By the husband and wife at the time team of Noel Regney and Gloria Shane. Regni um, grew up in Alsace, he came from a Catholic family, and Alsace is that province of France that historically has alternated between France and Germany, and France and Germany, and France It's just kind of what it does. And uh, at the beginning of World War II, because most people like him in Alsace at the time spoke German as well as French, he was drafted into the Nazi army. Well, he deserted and joined the French resistance. Eventually, he made his way to the United States, and he was a musician of some note, and he was asked by a record producer to write a Christmas song. But actually, initially, he turned the producer down. He said, I don't want to write a Christmas song. Christmas is so commercialized. But anyway, he and his wife did write a song, which became a plea for peace during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Regney said he was inspired to write the lyrics, said the night went to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Pray for peace. People everywhere after watching babies being pushed in strollers on the sidewalks of New York City. And his wife, Gloria Shane, stated in an interview years later that neither one of them could personally perform the entire song at the time because of their emotions around the crisis. She said, Our little song broke us up. So you have to realize we were on the brink of war and scared to death. Well, even though Regney was concerned about the commercialization of Christmas, I don't think he minded the fact that their little song had sold tens of millions of copies, been recorded by hundreds of artists, and it probably made a, a little pocket change for them. And the song was released, conveniently enough, on Thanksgiving 1962. But there's even more to this story that speaks to how life is interconnected. Gloria Shane, his wife, was Jewish. And you might be surprised at how many famous Christmas songs were written by Jewish people, such as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, White Christmas, The Christmas song, you know, chestnuts roasting on, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Silver bells and, of course, Santa, baby. (laughs) Oh, but there's even more. There's one other little fact about this song that relates to the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Glory Shane grew up in Massachusetts, and the family that lived next door to them was headed by a man named Joe and his wife, Rose. They had a bunch of kids, one of whom was president in 1962. Glory Shane grew up next door to the Kennedys. You cannot make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. You know, we talk often about the oneness of life, the unity of life, how everything is interconnected. And when I first heard about this song, the story behind it, last December, it's been a year ago, I've been waiting to give this talk, I was just dumbstruck at just that level of connectedness. And each one of us has connections like that in the world, where we are in a position to be an influencer, a difference maker. A healer in the world. Each one of us has those experiences and those opportunities to share our gifts and talents in ways we could never have seen coming. But that's why we are here for one another. You know, and I want us to know in this week of peace just how much power each and every one of us has. For we have all been blessed and challenged by people who skillfully or unskillfully use their power. I've come to believe that power without compassion prevents peace and perpetuates poverty. That's a lot of alliteration. Power without compassion prevents peace and perpetuates poverty. We all have so much power. And I don't even think we all realize it until sometimes we are, when we're watching the news and we're freaking out, or we're on a therapist's couch and we're freaking out. It's like, how was power used? Now did I use mine? So, my prayer is that we connect with both that King power and that Christ power, bring them into unity. And use them for good. Because all the issues and isms and problems we see in the world, we can solve. Wayne Dyer once said, there is a spiritual solution to every problem. The most intimate ones and the biggest ones. And when we know that we are the power, that we have been endued by our creator with the creative power, capacity to make a difference then we will. And the blessings of liberty and peace on earth, goodwill to all will be the result. Because each one of us is the child bringing goodness and light. Peace be with you. Noah Stein.
0: Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.